Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeff Havisto. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to uh, bring the word to us this morning. And as you know, we've been going through a series in Ephesians, uh, but Paul asked uh, me to preach, and he gave me the opportunity to preach on anything I wanted to. So he said, just pick a subject and preach on this. So I wanted to preach on something that's uh, very, very close to my heart and something I'm excited to talk about this morning, and that is encouraging ordinary people. <laughs> I just want to know, how do we encourage each other? How do we encourage just the everyday person who sits next to us, who sits next to us in the pew, who's in our family, who the people we work with, these uh, other ones? So imagine that you're at church, and the service is just ended. Someone comes up to you, and they look a little bit preoccupied. So you ask, how are you doing? And they say, all right. It's been a long week. Just kind of tired, just kind of tired of everything. What do you say? What's your normal response to someone who says that? And you feel like what you say helps at all in this situation. See, we want to help. We want to know things to say. And we want to be able to encourage people in a meaning, meaningful way. Most of our conversations that we have are just ordinary conversations. They're just normal. There's nothing normally too unique about these. But we want to take these normal conversations and we want to make them something different. We want to make them into times that we can encourage each other. Robin Sharma is a leadership speaker. And on his blog, he wrote this about one of his seminars that he had. He said, one of the insights that my attendees found most valuable was to see themselves as perfect moment creators. He said this concept goes back to this book I read called Chasing Daylight. And it's this true story about the former CEO of KPMG. He went to the doctor, and on a routine visit, the doctor told him, you only have 90 days left to live. So instead of giving up, he fortified himself against the impending death. And he engineered his last three months of his life to be the best three months of his life. And he realized that after all these years, as an elite executive, he had never had lunch with his wife. And so he started having lunch with his wife. He recognized all these Christmas concerts of his daughters that he had missed. And he had seen all the times that he had neglected because of his obsession with work. And so he began focusing on doing these beautiful things with the most important people in his life. And he began creating what he called these perfect moments. And Sharma says, I encourage and I challenge everyone in the room to make the time on a regular basis to create perfect moments with their friends and with their families. Simple or not so simple experiences to those who mattered most to them that they would carry within their hearts for the rest of their lives. And Sharma says that we should become perfect moment creators. And I agree with him, and we should intentionally try to do these things, to try to make these memories sort of with our friends and our families and those who uh, mean the most to us. And obviously the term perfect is only direction. We can't actually make perfect moments, but we can make these moments that people remember, these moments that are special to people. And I want to take that same idea of creating these perfect moments, and I want to use it today to... Um, these ordinary times that we're with 
each other. And I want to apply it to us. So we can take these ordinary times with ordinary people doing ordinary things, and we can make them into encouraging moments. I want us to be a church of encouragers so that when we come in, we look for ways to encourage each other. So that encouragement comes natural. So that encouragement comes who we are. Imagine how this would build up our body. Imagine how this would build up our friendships. Imagine how this would build up our fellowship. Imagine how this would create this unity if we come in and we take these ordinary conversations and we make them into these encouraging moments so that we're building each other up. So the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we make those encouraging moments? And what we want to do today is look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And Paul is talking to the Colossians. It's the opening of his letter. And he's encouraging them. And he's telling them, this is how I pray for you. So let's go ahead and look at this. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And we have an overhead for this. He says this. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so... From the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me just pray. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, and we want to take your word. We want to connect it to our lives. We want to apply it to our lives, Lord. We want to uh, gain your wisdom and knowledge, Lord, so that we may take this and that we might walk this out, Lord. So be with us this morning, Lord. Give us clarity. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding, Lord. Holy Spirit, be with us that we might take this, bring it into our heart, obey you, and become part of our lives. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. How do we become those encouraging people to make these encouraging moments? Several different ways. Number one, pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding for yourself. Uh, by the way, I do have uh, this outline on here. If you didn't get one, they're back there. Maybe an usher if you hold your hand and get one. This might be helpful to follow through. Um, in case you guys don't know, when you walk in, and on your right-hand side, there's the people greeting you and putting, giving you bulletins. On the left-hand side, there's a little table right there that has the uh, every week, Paul will put these out or whoever's preaching, so I encourage you to grab one of those on the way in. All right, so number one, pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding for yourself. 
Pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding for yourself. In verse 9, Paul tells them that he prays for them. And he says that he asks God to fill them with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And later on, we're going to take a closer look at this. But right now, I just want to apply this to us. So when someone comes to us and we start talking to them or this conversation comes up, we want to help, right? And we want to say the right things. Sometimes we don't have any idea of what to say. Other times, we think that we have all the answers, and so we ramble on and on and on, and we fill them with our own unbelievable wisdom. <laughs> right? Sometimes we sound like the venerable Andy Griffin when he's talking to his son, Opie, right? And what we say is from maturity. What we say is from our understanding of human wisdom. It's this common folk sense kind of thing. And people get it, right? And they use it. Opie's better off for it. Aunt B is better off for it. The people that we're talking to are better off for it, right? But sometimes we just sound like Barney Fife <laughs> when we talk. But the thing is, the wisdom that we want isn't our own. And the wisdom we want isn't just that common uh, wisdom. But we want wisdom that's from above. We want God's wisdom, right? We want spiritual wisdom. We want spiritual understanding. We want to be filled with the knowledge of God. And if you notice, Paul says, I pray that you will be filled with this. This means that we're not filled with this. And we cannot be filled with God's wisdom and knowledge and spiritual understanding without God. It's the Holy Spirit that does this, right? It is something that God gives to you. And Paul says, I pray that you will have this. So when we talk to people, pray for yourself that God will give you this wisdom, that the Holy Spirit will give you this sensitivity, the spiritual understanding of how to encourage people and how to talk to people. Number two, we want to learn how to ask questions and how to listen so that you understand what the other person is going through. So you understand what they're saying. So you understand what's going on. This point doesn't come directly from this passage, but it's found elsewhere in scriptures. We have an overhead for this. Proverbs 18, 13 says this. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Author G.K. Chesterton says, it's not that they can't see the solution, but they can't see the problem. James 1, 9 says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. We need to learn how to listen so we hear what's going on. We need to learn how to ask questions so we can find out what they're going through. We need to be patient when we do this and open and intentional about this, right? How many times have you been talking to someone and they just jump in and just start talking before you even finished, right? And they totally miss the point. They don't understand at all what's going on, right? It happens. So what we need to do is ask those questions to really find out what someone's going through. And then we will be able to come alongside and encourage them and give them counsel and speak with them. The third thing that we want to do, and this is probably the most encouraging thing that we can do, at least I found for myself is probably the most encouraging thing that, that I've ever received, and um, it's this. Look for evidence of grace in a person's life and then tell them what you see. 
Look for evidences of grace in someone's life and then tell them what you see. Right? Looking for evidences of grace in someone's life is something that the churches of sovereign grace have always tried to do. It's something that we've tried to weave into the fabric of who we are. See, God is working in our lives, but we don't always see it. We don't always feel it. And we need others to help us through. And the enemies, one of the enemies that attacks, one of the things that he does is to attack us in this area. And lots of times he gets us to doubt the assurance, doubt the assurance that we're saved, doubt God's given for his grace to forgive us, and to doubt these things, right? So he comes at us, he says these things, he's like, you're not a Christian or you wouldn't have even done that. Or you're, you're a bad Christian, otherwise you wouldn't have ever even thought that. That thought would have never went through your head at all. So he tricks us into doubting these things. He tricks us into doubting our salvation. He tricks us into doubting God's grace and God's love and our kindness. And sometimes we ourselves confuse our emotions with our faith. So if we feel something deeply, right, we feel sorrow, we feel uh, disappointment, we feel regret, we feel lost, we think somehow that's a lock, lack of faith and it's not there because we felt sorrow, disappointment, right? And so Paul looks at these people, Paul looks at the Colossians, he looks around and he looks for evidences of this grace that's in their life and he sees it. He sees it in their faith in Christ, he sees it in their love for others, he sees it in their hope for eternity. R.C. Lucas says this, these three qualities, hope, faith, and love, are the hallmarks. They're the proper evidence of a work of God in the soul of man. And so we judge faith and we see if it's real by these things. Do you have faith in Christ? Do you love other Christians? Do you have hope for heaven? Paul sees it and he tells them, he says, the gospel has come to you. It is bearing fruit. It is growing. We're to do the same. Look for it in each other. And you know, it doesn't have to be some amazing, stupendous, superior thing that we look for, right? The grace of God is simply God working in our lives. And it's found in everyday, normal Christians who lead quiet and unexciting lives. In fact, Paul wants us to pray for our leaders so that we can lead quiet, peaceful lives. He's like, pray for your leaders so you can lead quiet, peaceful lives. And God will grow you in this time. And so we look for evidences of grace in people's lives during these little things. If you see faith in someone, let them know. If you see that they love others, let them know. If you see that they have hope, let them know, right? So... Let's say you're talking to someone and they're going through this difficult time and they're just thrown up and down emotionally and it, there's just such this emotional roller coaster that they can't see, they can't tell the top from the bottom, they can't tell up from down, they're just going all over and they're like, I, I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I know somehow or another God is in control but I just don't have any idea what's going on, right? That's evidence that God is working in their lives, right? Let them know it. Say, you know, it's so good to see your faith here. Even though you don't know what's happening, even though you don't know why it's happening, even though you're thrown up and down, you said, I know that God is in control, right? This is faith, and God is pleased with you. 
we can have faith. God can be pleased in us during these turbulent times when we're up and down. And so we're so shaken that we can't even tell up and down. But we know that God is in control. That's faith. That's God working in our lives. And if you see someone and you're just talking to them and they're saying this way, it's like, I know God is in control. I don't know why. That's faith. Let them know, this is where I see God working in your life. If you see someone doing something for someone else, that is love for the saint. Let them know that's evidence that God is working in their lives and you see it. If someone from the world's perspective should be angry, should be mad at their circumstances, right? The world sees this and this is what they get upset about. But they aren't. This is God working in their lives. And let them know. Right? Tell them, look, I see God working in your lives. Most people in your situation would be angry, would be mad, would be upset, but you're not. You're patient. That's God working in your life. And I can see that. That's God's patience. God is happy with you because of this reason. If you don't know what to look for, if you don't know what to look for to find the grace in people's life, Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is a gift of God. It's the evidence that God is working in someone's life. It's the evidence that God is working in your life as well, the lives of people around you. So, how else do we encourage ordinary people? And again, this is marching through this passage. In verse 9 and 10, Paul encourages them to live to please God, to live their lives in order to please God. The reason that Paul tells them that they should be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and all spiritual understanding isn't just so that they can know what to do. It isn't just so they know the future or, or what job to take or where to move or who to marry. It isn't so they have some mystical experience or get that specific direction. Paul says, I want you to know this so that you can walk in a manner fully pleasing to God. This is what Paul's praying for. This is what God wants. And when we live in this day-to-day, we want to live in a manner that's pleasing to God. That's how we want us to work. So Paul goes through and he tells us what that looks like. He says it's bearing fruit in every good work. It's increasing in the knowledge of God. It's enduring with patience and joy and being thankful. What is it bearing fruit in every good work? Is it only what the pastors do? Is it only what missionaries do? Is it only what the super-Christians do? No, it's what everyday, ordinary Christians are to do. And so, in the book of Matthew, Jesus kind of describes this. So, Jesus tells of a time of the judgment. He says he's going to sit on his throne. And he's going to judge all the people. And to some of them, he's going to say, Come, you're blessed by my Father. And inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he gives these reasons why. He says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. He says, I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And they asked, they said, when did we do this? 
He said, truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. What did they do? Was it some major thing? No. They gave people food and water. They welcomed people. They gave clothes to those who needed them. They visited the sick. They visited the people who were in prison. Bearing fruit in every good work is simply living in a way that would be pleasing to God. So encourage others to live in that way that they can live a life that's pleasing to God so they can bear this fruit. Paul goes on and he says, one of the ways that we live this life pleasing to God is to increase in knowledge. So at the beginning of the passage, he prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of God. And here, he commands them to increase in the knowledge of God. So what does he mean by that? Increasing in the knowledge of God. When he's talking about increasing in this knowledge of God, he's praying that they will know more and more about God and about his word and about what God wants in order so that they will obey it to live a life pleasing to God. So what happens is, if you know one thing, you obey it. And by obeying it, it pleases God. And then you learn more things about God. And then you obey God and you do these things and you please Him even more. And it's more and more and this momentum is, is, is built up. Kind of the picture that I, that I had of this, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but <laughs> it is a picture. I pictured the you know, like the rockets, the one that they're shooting out into, you know, outer space, and, you know, the astronauts get up on board, and they're in there, and then, you know, they do the whole countdown, three, two, you know, one, and then all of a sudden you see a little bit of smoke coming out, and that's like when they hear, or they learn, and they obey, and that's pleasing to God, and then a little bit more comes out, and they hear, and they obey, and they please God. And a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And this just keeps going and going. So pretty soon the whole thing is just billowing out. And the rocket just takes off and goes out to outer space. It's this momentum that goes up. It's this momentum that, you know, one after another, a little bit after a little bit, a little bit, that Paul's saying, he's like, increase in the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God so that you learn something, and you obey it, and you live pleasing to God. And Paul's saying, I see this at work in your life. Continue to do this. And so when we encourage each other, let's look to where we see them doing this and encourage them to continue to do this and to keep on um, doing this. We want to keep on in the knowledge of God. He goes on to, and he further paints this picture of what it looks like to please God. And he says it's enduring with joy. It's being patient with joy. It's being thankful to God. If we are to lead holy lives in this world, it will be difficult, right? And words like endurance and words like patience imply long-term hard things. Recognize this and encourage people as they go through long-term hard, difficult things, right? Some problems last a long time. Some marriage problems last a long time. Some work situations last a long time. Raising kids, especially difficult ones, lasts a long time, right? And waiting can be long. Waiting for a Christian spouse can be a long time. Waiting for a rebellious loved one to turn around can be a long time. And he says encourage each other. Help each other to look to God so you can have joy. You can have joy during that waiting time. 
You can have joy in that patience. You can have joy in that endurance. You can have joy knowing that God is in control. And the next point helps us to find that joy in the middle of life. And that is, point them to the eternal gospel. Point them to the eternal gospel. Verse 12 and 14 says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light because he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and he has transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's saying you were once in the domain of darkness. Your sins condemned you as guilty. But Jesus Christ died on the cross. Your sins have been forgiven and you have been redeemed. You have now been transferred out of darkness and into his kingdom. You know, sometimes it feels like we're in a dark forest at night and we're lost and we're trying to find the way out. But we can't see anything, right? We don't know which way to go. We can't find which way to go. If we're going to have joy in the middle of this forest of endurance and patience, we need to look beyond the moment. And we need to look to that future that God has promised us. Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured the cross. It says he despised the shame because of what was set before him. Because now he's seating. He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw what was coming. He saw this eternal gospel and he endured the cross and he despised the shame. Romans says this, I consider, this is Paul in Romans, he says, I consider the suffering of this present time not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is the way that we can have joy during endurance. That is the way that we can have uh, patience uh, in joy. And so, just the next kind of section of the, of the passage, we didn't have an overhead, uh, it's just, I'm going to read just a couple verses here, and it's looking at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is this gospel. And he's just saying, you know, have patience with joy. Have endurance with joy. He's like, look to this gospel that's coming up. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated in hostile mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Saying this is how you have joy. You look at Christ, everything was made through him. Everything was made for him. And he's redeemed you to be with him. To stand holy before God with him. And so when we're in this, you're talking to someone, right? And you want to encourage them. And they're in this forest, and it's night, it's dark, and they can't see. Help them to see what lies ahead. Help them to see the gospel. Help them to see Christ. Help them to see that one day they will stand before God holy. They will stand before God holy. They will stand with Jesus Christ before the Father. Let them see this.
The next thing we want to do when we encourage someone is that we want to pray with them. We want to pray with them. We want to pray for them. So Paul says this. What we want to do, first of all, is we want to pray for people when they are doing well. Pray for people when they are doing well. Paul says, well, actually, I keep saying Paul says, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Okay. So we'll get back to what Paul says. Here's the deal. Pray for people who are doing well. Pray for people who are doing well, right? Paul's praying for these people, and he's praying for people who get it. He's praying for people who are doing well. And this is what he says. He says, since the day that we heard of your faith, since the day that we heard of your faith and your love for the saints, your hope in heaven, how you've been bearing fruit and growing, we have not stopped praying for you. Isn't that amazing? I heard that you were doing so well that I have not stopped praying for you. How often do you look around and say, that person is doing so well, I'm going to pray for them, right? Usually we don't at all. We pray for those who are doing bad and poorly, and we should, but we don't say, man, you were doing so good, I'm going to pray for you. D.A. Carson says this, when Paul learns of the work of God in some, of these, in some church, he gives thanks, and then he prays still more of the same. Doubtless, Paul intercedes when there are barriers to be hurdled, but the point is that he also intercedes when there are signs of life and of power and of grace. Because his concern is that this is protected and that it increases, that it increases all the more. And so he prays for them that he's doing well. Next, when we pray, because what I'm trying to do is just, this is how we pray for people. So whether you're with them or when you're not with them, right, is that, first of all, who we pray for, those who are doing bad and those who are doing well. So how do we pray for them? First thing we do is we thank God for how they're working in their lives. This is what Paul does. He thanks God for the work that's in his life. So start your prayers by thanking God for them. Thank God for these specific evidences of grace that you have seen. You want to start all of your prayers like this, whether you're with them or whether you're at home. So, in thanking God for how they're working for their lives, we look for these evidences of, of grace. So, a uh, story quickly about Annie and her air conditioning. She, Annie's got, Annie has a car, a little Mitsubishi, and we went to turn like the heat from like heat to air conditioning, and we couldn't get it to work. We're taking it down. We're just like twisting and twisting and twisting. Nothing at all is coming along. So I go online, and I see what the problem is. And so what the problem is is there's this little uh, shaft that comes out of the thing for all you who guys who want <laughs> who want the details, right? So here's the air conditioning unit, full of cold air, just as cold as you can possibly want. The more you drive, the colder it gets. And in here, there's a little thing that shifts the flap that goes from hot to cold, hot to cold, hot to cold. And this comes out and it's threaded. And there's two little cogs that go like this. These cogs are hooked up to a wire into the dash. So I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, nothing at all. And I can see them just going click, 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 click. That's not it. So I go online, and it turns out it was just a poor design. It had like this little L, and when it got to this point, it stuck. So they made an aftermarket thing that looks like a half moon. So I spend my $30, I get online, I put it on there. Thing works great. I go hot, I go hot, I go cold, I go hot, I go cold, I go stuck. And it sticks right there. So what do I do instead of like patiently investigating it? I just start jamming with my hands as hard as I can, right? The typical thing. I'm going to make this thing work no matter what. And so I'm cranking and cranking and cranking. I hear this big pop. 
I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Then, like, everything is free. <laughs> like, that really doesn't feel good. And so what I did was I felt this thing, and it's like, I knew that I broke, broke it for sure. Annie was taking her car in to get the oil changed, and I said to the mechanic, I'm like, can you just look at the AC for her to see what it is? So he comes back. He's like, it's an internal thing. It's broken inside. It's going to cost $1,800 to fix this AC. I'm like, oh, so I feel, like, horrible about it, right? This is, like, the hottest summer on record. And Annie's like, oh, don't worry, I'll just roll down my windows, right? So she comes home from work, she's dripping sweat. She comes home from, you know, you know some of you dripping sweat, she's all over like that. And so I tell her, I'll just go ahead and look at it when I, you know, and then I completely forget about it. So I told her, like, June 1st that I would look at it, completely forgot all about it. And then, like, you know, six weeks into, like, this blazing summer, Mickey's like, did you ever look at Annie's car? Or I forgot what we had this conversation, but she brought up, like, oh, man, I forgot all about it. I'm like, I'll go look right now, because I'm still thinking, it's got something to do with this mechanism. So I go out there, day before yesterday, I go out there, there's two screws to take off the cog. I take the two screws off, I do it. It's as easy as turning a handle. I'm like, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. It's all done, it takes like five minutes, literally, to do. So what I did was, I didn't tell Annie how to do it, but I'm gonna charge her five bucks every time she gets cold or hot to go on, you know, <laughs> not really. But, so here's the point, why did I tell this long story? Because it's not so much about the car, but it's the evidence that I see in Annie's life. Because in this whole heated, hot, 90-degree summer, she did not once complain. She did not once say, boy, life is so hard, I don't have any AC. Never once did she do this. This is God's grace in her life. Never once did she come up and say, hey, I thought you were going to fix that thing, and you didn't fix it. Never at all. But she was just patient, and she endured. When we look at Philippians... Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am. So whether I'm, you know, brought low or I'm brought up, whether I'm, you know, have plenty or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm in need or in abundance, I've learned to be content. And so I told Annie that. I said, this is what I see in you. This is the character that I see in you. This is who I see in you. So Annie has learned to be in plenty and to be in hunger. She's learned um, to be in abundance and need. She's learned to be hot and cold. <laughs> so, but this is what we do. We look for these things. It's just a simple thing. We say, this is where we see God working in your life. This is just like where he says, I've learned to be content, because this is where you learn to be content. And we tell them that. And when we pray for them, and we're praying, we say, Father, thank you for working in our lives. I see that learning to be content in all situations. She could be mad and angry, but she's not. She's content, and this is you who's working in her life. Next, we pray that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual understanding, right? We pray, God, fill them with your wisdom, with your knowledge, with your understanding. Their temptation is going to be to do it on their own. Their temptation is going to be lean on their own wisdom and understanding. But Lord, give them your wisdom. Fill them with your spiritual understanding. Then we pray that God will strengthen them with His power according to His glorious might. How much power does God have? How glorious is His might? His power is beyond His imagination. His glory is, His might is beyond our imagination. And Paul's saying, pray for them. So we pray God give them that strength. Give them strength according to your power. Give them strength according to your glorious might. 
We pray that they can endure with patience and that they can endure with joy. We say, God, give them not only the strength to endure. Give them not just the ability to carry on, but give them the ability to be patient with joy. Give them the ability to endure with joy. And we pray that in these circumstances that they will walk in a manner worthy of God, right? We say, Lord, let them walk in a manner worthy of you. Let them bear fruit now in the middle of this situation that they're in. Let them walk now in this situation. We pray that they will give God thanks. It's a difficult thing to do sometimes to give God thanks for where we are and the things that we're going through, especially when we don't see the reasons. We don't understand why. We don't understand what's happening at all. It's difficult to give God thanks in that time. But we pray, God, give them the heart to thank you. Give them the heart to thank you. Give them the ability to thank you. Let them thank you, Lord. We pray that they will see the gospel. We pray, Lord, let them see eternity. Let them see what you have promised them. Let them see what you have promised for those who believe for eternity. These are the prayers that encourage people. These are the prayers that strengthen people. These are the prayers that build up the body and build up unity and build up fellowship and build up friendship. These are the way we want to pray for each other. And finally, we want to be like Epaphras. Epaphras is one of those people in the Bible. We know very little about him. He's only mentioned three times, twice here in Colossians, once in Philippians. We see there that he's with Paul in prison. And yet in Epaphras, we can see this work out. We can see what he does. Because it says he tells them and he teaches them the gospel. Paul says you have heard it, you have understood it, and you have learned it from Epaphras. This is not a fast process at all. And yet he's patiently helped them. Paul calls him a faithful minister of Christ. In chapter 4, I think we have an overhead. Do we have an overhead for this? Yeah, he says this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Epaphras struggled for them in his prayers. He struggled for them in his prayers. Right? He prays that they may stand mature, that they may be assured, fully assured in the will of God. And he works hard for them. He is involved in their lives. And this is what we want. We want to help each other. We want to encourage each other. We want to pray for each other. We want to be in each other's lives. What we want is we want to take these ordinary times with ordinary people going through ordinary things and we want to make them encouraging moments. We want to become a church of encouragers. We want to come in and we want to look for people to encourage. We want encouragement to come naturally, right? We want to build up our body and our fellowship and our friendships. So when you come in and you're talking to someone, pray for the Holy Spirit's wisdom and spiritual understanding. Listen to what they're saying. And as you're listening to what they're saying, look for those signs of, of life, right? Look for the faith in Christ. Look for the love for the brothers. Look for the hope that they have stored up within them. Look for those things and let them know. And then as you're encouraging, 
encourage them to, to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. Encourage them to thank God for what it is that you're going through. Point them to the Gospel and pray with them. Pray with them. And then pray with them when you're at home. There's something so encouraging to have someone listen to what you're saying and say, you know what? This is difficult and I can see this, but you know what? I see God working here. Just that one sentence that you just said. You're like, I don't know. I, somehow I really know God's in control. This is where I saw the faith in you. This is what it is. And then just pray for them. It's just so encouraging to do that. This is what I saw in you. And then while you're praying, every prayer should start out. When you talk to when you're praying with them or someone else, it should always start out with thanking God. God, I just thank you so much for this person. And I just see you working here. And I see their faith being built up. And I see their love for the saints. I see their hope. And then you just pray through, just helping them build up for that power of God, that Holy Spirit to work in their lives and pointing them to the gospel. It is so encouraging. I just want to close this just with First Thessalonians 5, verses 8 through 11. He says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to abstain, obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let me pray and the band can come up. Father God, I just echo Paul's words here, Lord, that we might encourage one another, that we might build one another up just as you are doing. Father, when I look at this church, Lord, <laughs> maybe I see it over here. All right. So, I'm going to continue with prayer. <laughs> Father God, as I look at this church, Lord, I do see people who encourage each other, Lord. I do see people who build each other up. I do see people who look for evidences of grace, Lord, and let each other know. So, Lord, I pray that we will do this more and more and more. Lord, protect this and build this up, Lord, so that this can be who we are. So people walk into this church and they're encouraged. Visitors come in, and they're encouraged, Lord. Those who are downtrodden come in and are encouraged. Those who are discouraged come in and are encouraged. Those who are feeling lost heavily come in and are encouraged. And then, Lord, I pray that those who come in, Lord, who are doing well feel more encouraged to do more and more. Lord, I pray for those who are increasing in your knowledge, Lord, might be encouraged to increase more and more. That those who are doing well will be encouraged to do all the more and more and more, Lord, as we see your day approaching, Lord. As we see you coming. As we see this hope for the future, Lord, where one day we will be with you, Lord. You are going to be the firstborn among many. And we will be with you among that many. Lord, help us to always have our sights set on eternity. Lord, let us always, for the joy that is set before us, Lord, go through these things and endure these things just as you did, Jesus. Let us be like that. Father, I pray that you will help us, that you will come with us, Lord, with your might and with your strength, Lord, 
so that we might be a people who walk in a manner worthy of you. Lord, and Lord, give us your strength. Give us your might. Give us your power in order to do this. Lord, fill us with your wisdom and knowledge. Lord, in all spiritual understanding, we pray these things in your precious, in your holy name. Amen.